0: Well, good morning, once again, everybody. Hope you're doing well this morning. Everybody doing well this morning? Good, 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 good. And and by the way, maybe my eyes deceive me, but I I I sure thought in the first service that I saw Bernie Sanders with a mitten sitting back in the tech <laughs> booth back there. I, I anybody else that was? Maybe? <laughs> oh, how funny has that been? Oh me, okay. <clears throat> uh, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter thirteen this morning. Genesis chapter thirteen. Um, how many of you remember, a, hey, or perhaps you even read the short story by F. Scott Fitzgerald, or saw the film, "The Curious Case of Benjamin Button"? Hey, anybody see that? It was a pretty kind of an interesting movie. Uh, I, I hadn't read the story, but but uh, interesting film about. Benjamin Button, who, who was uh, born into this world as a 70-year-old man. And then he aged backwards. <laughs> I mean, again, interesting story, but, but uh, as I, I thought back to that this week, one of the things that I, I, it made me think about is the fact that, that sometimes, <clears throat> from time to time, I, I've wondered if life w- is not designed a little bit backwards. I mean, think about the incredibly important decisions <clears throat> that you are faced with having to make very, very early in life. I mean, long before we have gathered and gained much wisdom or insight, much less perspective. And yet we're, we're supposed to make these huge, huge decisions. Well, as I continue to think about that, <laughs> I, I decided that The reason God probably designed, not probably designed, the reason that God designed life like that was to motivate us to learn how to depend and trust in Him from very, very early on. I don't know, I hope some of you may memorize those two verses. I, I encourage you to do so last week at the end of the message from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Let me ask you a question. In what moments or experiences in life have you or do you find yourself most embracing? what those verses just stated. Most embracing your trust, dependence, and acknowledgement of God. Is it not in times of worship? Times of worship when we gather corporately like this or times when we have a personal, quiet time, devotional time, time of worship. And so it's no accident that what we're about to see in abraham's next this next part of his journey that one of his greatest moments of his life occurs on the heels of worship you know last week we saw the last part of genesis chapter 12 that where Abraham stumbled big time in his faith Remember, a famine struck the land, and Abraham became fearful, panicked, whatever the case might have been. Didn't even consult God about it, much less trust in God for his provision, and he hightailed it to Egypt. It seemed like as fast as he could get there, depending on the fact that there would be food and water there, that he, he knew that that would be there. And while he was there, he also... Deceived the Egyptians big time. You remember, he told them that Sarah was not his wife, but was his sister, in order to save his own skin. And so Pharaoh took Sarah into his harem, and and as a result of that, Pharaoh was able to put two and two to, two and two together, because all of a sudden they began encountering all kinds of diseases. And he confronts Abraham and humiliated Abraham with the fact and let him go. Oh God, obviously with his amazing grace, rescued Abraham and Sarai at that point. But again, we were reminded of the fact that instead of being a blessing to the Egyptians, as God had called them to be a blessing in his calling beginning of chapter 12, be a blessing to all peoples of the earth, instead of being a blessing, he what? He left Pharaoh having to deal with disease instead. Well, fortunately, as we see here at the beginning of Genesis 13, Abraham responded well to that humiliation, and he returned to the land that he never should have left. It's a big reminder that Ab- that failure, neither for Abraham nor for any of us, failure is not final. It's not final. Abraham's failure was not final, and neither is yours. Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar." There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. You remember that phrase, called on the name of the Lord? You see, throughout the, New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, so many occasions, simply means he worshiped God. Again, Abram had stumbled big time, but he chose to learn from his stumbling, to learn from that crisis in Egypt, and so he returned to the altar. He returned to worship you know, in the book of Revelation, perhaps you remember the Lord Jesus in confronting, speaking to the church at Ephesus. You remember what He says to them there, Ephesus, the the, the church at Ephesus. He, he compliments them for for being so busy about doing so many good things, but then He reminds them that they have forgotten the main thing. He says to them in Revelation two four, "But I have this against you that you have left your first love, your first love, your passion." For God, friends, it is in worship where we can both express our passion for God, and it is in worship and where when our passion for God is renewed. Abraham's passion for God was renewed in worship. He returned to his first love, and it was through worship. That God prepared his heart for this next great challenge that he was about to face in his journey of faith. Beginning in verse five, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the Lord would not. Su- but the land would not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Now, Moses, who is the author of Genesis, makes note of the fact, again, these Canaanites and parasites were living in the land. They were already living in the land before Abram and Lot ever arrived. And so because of that, they were in control of Palestine. And so they had already picked out all the best areas for all their livestock and all their herds. You're leaving Abraham and Lot the, the much less desirable parts of the land, which had not been much of a problem up to this point because Abram and Lot had not, didn't have a lot of livestock. They required a whole lot of land. But you remember things changed while Abram was in Egypt. <clears throat> remember what happened. As Pharaoh took Sarai into his, into his harem, Abram was given what? All kinds of livestock and camels and male and female servants. And then on his way out, after Pharaoh kicked Abram out, he allowed him to keep all those things. And so they returned to the land of promise, but now they need a lot more of it, a lot more space. When Abram, we mentioned this last week, when Abram received all that stuff, he had no idea, no clue as to the divisiveness that was going to arise because of it and all the heartache that he would experience. Well, before we move on, let us let, let me dig just a little bit deeper here on this subject. Because I think we all are so tempted to, th- to think in the same ways. That we we th- are so tempted to think that money and stuff is, is always all blessing. You know, if, if I just had more money, then all my problems would, would go away. Well, not so much, right? Not so much. Because if we don't approach material blessings with the right mind and right heart— then the Bible says, well, watch out. First Timothy 6, verse 9, Paul writes, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, Lots of people misquote verse 10 there. They, they say money is the root of all evil, but that's not what it says. Is it? it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, money in and of itself is not evil. It's neutral. It can either be used for great good or for great bad. It can stir up all kinds of strife, can it not? Some of you who have small children, more than one small child in the house, experienced a great illustration of that just about a month ago. You know, as the children were opening up Christmas presents, right? (laughs) As long as they focused on their own toys, all was calm and all was bright, right? But when they began to cast an eye upon their sister or brother's toys, strife broke out, right? How many of you, I won't ask for a show of hands on that. Well, unfortunately, we also know that it's not just a kid issue, is it? Over the years I've been in ministry, I've seen so many different occasions where strife over money breaks up friendships, breaks up families, breaks up businesses, breaks up marriages. It causes strife. Money and possessions have a way of capturing our hearts to the point that we start putting all of our trust and hope there. We get possessed by our possessions, which is why the Bible goes on to say in 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world, which is all of us, basically, when you compare us to the rest of the world, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Plain and simple. Well, how is Abram going to respond to all this squabbling over the livestock and land? Verse 8, chapter 13. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives." Is not the whole land before you? <clears throat> Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. <clears throat> if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now this is really astounding on the part of Abraham because Lot owes everything to him. You remember Lot is Abraham's nephew. Abraham, is Lot's father was Abraham's brother who died in Lot and Abraham and Abraham took Lot into his family. And he, everywhere Abram has gone, Lot has gone with him. A moment ago we read in verse 5 that Lot had just been moving about with Abram. And so no one would have blamed Abram at this point if he had just simply said to Lot, Lot, okay, I'm done. I'm done, son. I'm done. I'm going to take what I want and then you just go and have a nice life. But no, Abram is incredibly generous with Lot instead he says you decide wherever you want to go I'll go the other way which is a great illustration on Abram's part of what it it takes to diffuse any situation like this is that one has to step up and be a peacemaker right the time that Abram had spent in worship prepared him For this prepared him to be a peacemaker. In the process, now he is reflecting the nature and character of God that he absorbs in the process of worship. He reflects God's love. Lot, let's not quarrel about this, for we are close relatives. I don't miss what he's saying there. He's saying, hey, listen, there is something much more important at stake here than possessions and land. Family is at stake. We are close relatives, loved ones. It's a selfless love in action on Abram's part. He is denying himself for the other. Now, (laughs) tell me how hard that is. Especially in that culture where Abram was the patriarch. He was the the senior member of the family. He had absolute right to exercise his power and authority over Lot and be completely dominating. But instead, he chooses to defer to Lot. That not only takes great love, but it also takes great faith. You see, out of Abram's time of worship also emerges great faith. He's able to trust in God and God's promise to the extent that he just simply doesn't feel the need at this point to desperately grasp and and fight for what he wants. He's also able to let go and, and give it to God which is really a powerful message for us today because a good measure of the health of any of our faith is our ability to be able to give generously and sacrificially. By faith, Abram knew that he had all he needed. Back to what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 and 7, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. You've heard the old saying, you know, and no one's ever seen a hearse pulling a (laughs) U-Haul. Abram had God. He had his family. He had God's promise. He had all he needed. In fact, I think a great question for us to ask of ourselves today, in the midst of a time when there seems to be so much discontentment, it is, what will it take for you to be content? What will it take? Have you thought about that? Again, by faith, Abram knew that he had all he needed. Verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Verse 10, again, what did it say about Lot? He, Lot looked around very little phrase that reveals a huge difference at this point between lot and Abram lot is living by sight Abram living by faith and it goes back to that passage from 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 that we've cited several times over the last few weeks and that is where we are exhorted to walk by faith in our life in Christ to walk by faith and not by sight See, when you live by sight alone, it makes you terribly susceptible to be deceived by the enemy. Notice that, that the land is described, did you catch that, as being like the garden of the Lord. Now, what garden would that be? It's the garden of Eden. And what happened in the garden of Eden? God told Adam and Eve not to eat from just one tree out of all the gazillions of others they, had, they could eat from. Don't, there's one tree you're not to eat from, that's the one that's in the middle of the garden. Well, you remember the story with a little coaxing from the serpent. The Bible says in Genesis 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. We forget that Adam was standing right there beside her while all that was taking place. You see, like Eve... Lot is not looking beyond what his eyes can see. And our eyes can deceive us so easily. Because sin disguises itself so very well. I mean, Lot was literally convinced that the grass was greener on the other side. And we suffer from that same temptation, do we not? That same temptation. It's been a part of human nature from the very beginning. We are so tempted to pursue what we see, what we're convinced will, be, will satisfy us. It's an age-old deception. Same with Eve, same with Lot, same with us. But friends, the only place that the grass is truly greener is in the middle, smack center of God's will. Period. We have to trust him even when we cannot see it. Is is there anything in your life right now about which God is asking you to trust him even though you can't see it? To exercise faith? Verse 11. Again, we read there, So Lot chose for himself... The whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. And the two men parted company. That that phrase at the beginning of that verse is such a descriptive term. Lot chose for himself. Deceived by what he saw. I mean he thought man this is great. This this, this land, that part part of the country is going to make me so prosperous. and, And when I become prosperous I'll be admired by so many people. But by choosing for himself. He chooses what ultimately turns into a destructive path of heartache and judgment. Again, verse 12. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. See, Lot's destructive path begins here in chapter 13, where we're told he pitched his tents near Sodom when we get to chapter 14 we're going to see there that he's then living in in Sodom not near in Sodom and then when we get to chapter 19 we find that Lot is then sitting in the gateway of Sodom meaning that he's become a a person of prestige in the city You see, when we cozy up to sin, it has an an insidious way of of sucking you in like a whirlpool. And how do you avoid that? The answer is is very simple. You, You stay away from the whirlpool, right? You stay away from it. Live and walk by faith and not by sight. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. Again, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go. Walk through the length and breadth of the land. Go take a prayer walk, Abraham. For I am giving it to you. You know, it's interesting here how God waits until Lot, after Lot has departed, before he speaks to Abram. We already saw in verse 10, again, how, how Lot, walking by sight and in his own self interest, looked around and invited disaster. But now here in verse 14, God tells Abraham to look around. It's a different kind of look, isn't it? It's it's a look of faith. Abraham's walking by faith in God's interest. And as a result, he ultimately receives God's very best. Very best. Well, the chapter concludes in verse 18. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Isn't that cool? The chapter begins and ends with worship. And it was through worship, as Hebrews 11.10 tells us, that Abram was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is the Lord. Abram was looking forward to the city, looking again, that different kind of looking, a look of faith toward that city with foundations. And it's the same with us. It is in worship that God will renew and restore your passion for Him. It's in worship that we have the opportunity to, exp- as in no, best no other way, to express our passion that we already have for him. It was in worship that Abraham and that we then are, uh, have the opportunity to to be motivated to, to reflect the image and the character of God, his love. It's through worship that we are empowered with faith, just as Abraham. It's in worship that we are also given that same vision to be able to see See, to look with faith, to see from God's perspective. Let's pray together. I want to invite all those that are here with us in this room today, as well as those of you that are listening online, watching online this morning, we would love to know about how God may be at work in your heart today. If you would send us another text to that 97,000, 97,000, a different word, all one word, S-H-B-C-NEXT, SHBC SHBCnext, S-H-B-C-NEXT to 97,000. A form will pop up, and it gives you there an opportunity to, to share with us. Perhaps God is, is leading you to join our church. You can let us know that way. Perhaps God is, is encouraging you to renew your, your commitment to Him. You can let us know that. Perhaps God is, is encouraging you in spite of the fact that, that, that some time ago you chose to follow Christ as Savior, but you've never followed Him in obedience with baptism can let us know that you'd like to be baptized. Let us know how God's at work. Father, we thank you for this amazing privilege we have to come before you in worship. Corporately and and each and every day personally. Lord, as we do, continue to strengthen and renew our our passion for you, that we might always keep the main thing, the main thing. Father, as we do, make us more like you, that we might reflect your image and love and as we walk more and more by faith in this life. Lord, that's our prayer this morning in Jesus name. Amen.